I just turned 41, and that puts me outside of the bracket of when most teenagers were getting into the punk scene. So I'd miss that. And I spent my time chasing rave and techno as a as a teen and kind of like as a as a counterculture when I was growing up. That was something that I, I, I was enamored by. So I didn't ever really spend a lot of time going back to the punk of its kind of origins and heyday. And sure, I listened to like Buzzcocks and Pistols and The Damned and, and other um, bands that from time to time, but I never kind of, I've never, I never kind of went in in and kind of really immersed myself in it. So lots of stuff has passed me by, and one of them, one of them bands that did pass me by is Stiff Little Fingers. And after this week's chat with Aiden Crossy, I've I've just I've been lit on fire with with thoughts and. I have not stopped listening to uh, Inflammable Material, the um, Stiff Little Fingers first album. So again, my, my lack of knowledge of understanding, I don't even know if you listeners or how many of you guys and women would have listened to this album growing up or even gone back to it. And it's funny, when I was talking with Aiden. So Aiden grew up in Northern Ireland in uh, in Lurgan. And anytime I speak to someone that's from Northern Ireland, particularly the one people who are a small bit older than me that would have been um so I w- would have been affected a lot more by the troubles because obviously but the Good Friday Agreement was two thousand oh sorry, nineteen ninety nine and like I so I was like nineteen or whatever. So quite embarrassingly I don't know a lot about life in the north and I never when I was a kid paid much attention to to politics because I probably had the the privilege not to you know it didn't really affect me so I could just be an idiot kid and can like be self-consumed in my own world and didn't really pay attention or think of people that were affected by it so now as an adult when I go out and and I meet people I'm, I'm really i'm really really um afraid that i'm gonna step on a landmine you know say something that i absolutely shouldn't and just embarrass myself or embarrass the person i'm speaking to by asking or saying something that's so um so ubiquitously understood by everyone else but I, I, it's one of my blind spots and i'm very aware i think that the likes of rebel songs is something that i understand i kind of know that they, they played a huge role there would have been a, an, a lot more acceptance of them at a different time and now there'd be much, a lot more taboo. Anyhow, all of that. So when those conversations come up, I want to know more, but I also i am not sure sometimes I, I know how to, to do it. Right, so there's that. And when speaking with Aiden, you know, we actually got speaking about Rebel Songs in the early part of the interview, not knowing how much of the rest of the interview was actually going to be, we would end up speaking about the other rebel songs, which I'm thinking now is Stiff Little Fingers, the, the punk movement to for that band to be as in your face and confrontational and brave and what they were saying at that time from where they were saying it is just phenomenal. And the ideas in that album are just so heavy hitting. It It's moved me. So it's only been maybe 
two, three days since I had a chat with Aiden, and I have not stopped listening to it. And it, it, what it's done too, it's also lit me up thinking about a whole lot of other stuff. So within this interview, we're going to touch on you know, maybe the similarities between the punk movement, the rave movement that would have happened then in the early 90s through to, you know, late 90s. And then I brought up another issue, which is kind of comes around in my thinking a lot, which is what is the what's the next alternative culture since you got like the punks, you got rave. What is an alternative counter like a counterculture since then and i i never really put my finger on it i, I see other genres of music sure but it, they don't come loaded with such of a, a counterculture and i think what's happening with me is i'm thinking oh right maybe what's going on is punk has a has a brand and and a, a fashion and a forward face where you can kind of understand by looking at it and it kind of sums up you got you got you know, Thatcherism happening in the background you've got the um the, the workers strikes you've got a whole political system and zeitgeist that was happening in the background and then something a, a counterculture could pop out of that fast forward you've got similar things happen with the rave movement you got to get like the end of the glitz and glamour of the 80s but you still have like, I don't know, I remember when I was going out to nightclubs, it was, it was very much divided. It was like, you had to wear slacks and shoes, like dress shoes to get into clubs. Like, that's just mad to think about. Because for us, the alternative was jeans, t-shirt. And instead of kind of like the the premise being about getting getting a ride or finding a woman, the premise was just getting on the dance floor and, and having fun and dancing. And like, I know it's a very different... Um, the weighting of that is very different, but you know, if you're in part of something, a movement, it feels like it's much bigger. The reason I'm mentioning that is even during this interview, I mentioned what what is the the counterculture, the major counterculture since let's say rave, because I can't really f- put my finger on one particular one, and I'm sure it exists, and I'm just saying that's my blind spot, and I, I look for it from time to time, and I actually think this week. What's really lit me up because maybe I'm thinking a lot about this kind of culture thing is what's happening with GameStop and what's happening on uh, Wall Street bets and on Wall Street itself. It's funny. I, f- I think this could be, this has got all the markings of a somewhere to kind of start pointing the finger at for a, a a real counterculture that people are feel like they're part of something it's sticking it to the man making the new rules for themselves these the like the wall street bets and the other kind of sub forms of that maybe are a bit of a maybe that's a a new thing to point at and go yeah the counterculture is alive and well it's just we have a different way of communicating now so it all can just sit in these tiny little pockets it, it's not it's not all focused towards a a music and that's that, that's what i mean i don't think the the punk or rave was you know totally informed by the music as i said the punk stuff came out of the the politics of the time and, and thatcherism and the way kind of the hair bands had been around before that and then like the rave culture too like you can't deny that ecstasy and drugs played a huge role in 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 that and it kind of it helped unite all these people that were kind of probably feeling a bit disenfranchised come together and feel like they're part of a a solid unit i think that's happening on wall street bets too you've got these are the people who i don't know got 
my mind's eye for these people are the people that are my age younger watch mum and dad or themselves lose huge in in the global financial crisis and and now you've got you know a new movement of people who are like yeah you know what we are part of this thing it feels good it's us versus them and we're the small us Look, I don't have this all tied up neatly with a nice little bow on it but I'm so excited by where this chat has led me off and then obviously the music Irish music sitting behind all that and then how that marries into punk how it marries into techno which I've mentioned a few times before so at the end of all that first of all Aiden thank you so much for turning me on to a whole new way of thinking about a lot of things I love this chat um as always this is a bit where I'm going to ask people to chip in and to help us make this podcast we have a patreon patreon is a service where it means you can donate a few little dollars every time we make an episode and that's the thing that makes this thing well i say financially uh financially feasible but it's it's not it's uh it's really just pennies on the amount of work that it takes to to make this thing happen so every little bit helps and yeah it's going to be the thing that makes us continue into the future so look if you want to be a part of that and become a patron saint uh, please do that head over to patreon.com forward slash balarney pilgrims uh as always if you can't totally cool this thing is supposed to be free so share it around and spread the love if you if you are one of the small percent of people that can chip in brilliant but if not just share it around tell a friend maybe they'll get as lit up about uh, these kind of subjects as I am. Right, without further ado, let's get into it. Aiden Crossy, enjoy.
Aidan Crossy, welcome to the Balani Pilgrims podcast. Good morning, how are you? I'm bloody brilliant. That was really, really nice. Um, what, what, what did we just hear? Well, what, what, what you heard there was, um, was, was two, two, two tunes. The first is a tune called My Singing Bird. And it's, a, it's an attempt to capture some of the feel of the, the version that I know of that, 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 that particular song, which is um, sung by the McPeak family from Belfast, which they, to me, um, they just remind me so much of, uh, of growing up and, and, and listening to that sort of music for the first time. Very sparse, very unadorned um, voice, pipes, a little bit of harp, um, but incredibly powerful. And that was my my kind of a, a, attempt to kind of capture that feel, and then I just followed it up with a with a, a little snatch of a reel, the bird in the bush, which is you know very common reel. Um, I think the first time that that reel really spoke to me was was hearing Joe and Antoinette McKenna playing it. Um, two very underrated uh, players, I think Joe and Antoinette. Um, and their version of Bird in the Bush is, is just, just wonderful. Joe on the pipes and Antoinette on the harp. So, yeah, that's it's, where it comes from. It's certainly beautiful. I love that the space in the singing bird is so nice. The, 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 the amount of room that was in it. The McPeak family. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I've listened to them. Can you tell me? Just ring, my, ring the... I know another guest has spoke about them, and I know it's a name that I've, I've jotted down and I needed to go back and listen to. They're from Belfast, right? They are from Belfast, yeah, and um, I mean Francie McPeak, the, uh, the 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 kind of dawn of the family, um, was a great promoter of traditional music um, throughout Belfast. He's he's taught many people, in, including some people I've just recently become acquainted with over the the internet, as it happens, who who taken lessons from him. Um, they were they just real stalwarts of the. Uh, of the tradition in Belfast for, for many years. A family outfit who have that sort of feel for music that families often do. So if you listen to something like, I don't know, the Mulcahy family when they play, it's that almost instinctive kind of psychic awareness of what each yeah. other are, are doing and playing that, that makes the yeah. music so kind of interesting and complete. So the, the Mac Peaks are, are. Are you from a? Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. So um, no, no, no. That, 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 that's it. I, I mean, I could. Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's. I think that's enough. As much as I know, really, about the Mac Peaks, you know, I'm, I'm not yeah. personally acquainted with them, but I, I just love their music. What I was going to ask you when you mentioned the musical families yeah. is that something that kind of resonates with you? Do you come from a musical family? Um. Interestingly, I, I come I come from a, a kind of family of singers. Um, right. My sister, for example, oh God, she's a she's a great chanter altogether. Um, my dad used to be in. Um, he was in a band called the the Bordermen back in the kind of early seventies. They were a, a, a kind of Dubliners stroke Clancy Brothers ballad type band. Um, various of my kind of uncles and and aunts and my dad was one of a of a big family of of 12 um right they they're all really into singing as well his dad was really into singing and and a great encourager of me 
to kind of um, take an interest in the music. But very few, very little in my background was really to do with the tunes. It was it right. was all to do with the singing. Although interestingly, I've have an uncle Patsy who, um, later on, kind of really got into the trad and was a was a wonderful uh, backer of trad on on guitar, um, and and a, and a good singer as well. So, if singing was the the, the family talent what, what way did that represent itself like how did that appear um so in, in what way for me or for, like, for were, them, yeah or? were you seeing it were you seeing it at home or was it concerts like when when were you exposed to it or what was your oh, exposure like yeah well um you know any time two or three or four of them got together and uh you know a few tins of few tins of guinness and uh few tins of beer and and the next thing everybody be sitting around just singing away um it, it just was kind of impossible almost to shut them up <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure as a young lad you're probably thinking exactly that yeah well exactly well i mean when i, when I was very young um i found it you know fascinating I, I i was encouraged to sing myself and i can remember you know, on many occasions being on, on holidays, for example, when, you know, all the rules are, are thrown out the window and uh-huh. even at the age of eight or nine, you're allowed to be in the pub till two or three o'clock in the morning. Um, and I, I can remember being encouraged to get up and, and sing in pubs in Ackle Island and various places. Um, right. And, what, were you, and, what were your go-to songs? Oh, uh, <laughs> um, at nine. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we really want to go there. Actually, to be honest, uh, that, that a lot of them were a lot of them were rebel songs that I had um, at that age very little knowledge or awareness of of what it was I was singing about. But you know yeah. they were they were part of what I was brought up with, and uh, that's what you gravitate towards when you're when you're that age. Yeah, that, oh, don't, I don't know much about the rebel songs, but definitely like I, I know the the silly things that you you end up saying. The, the the whole rebel the, the rebel song thing I think kind of is uh, is an interesting one to me more so from because it because I was so far like not so far removed but Drada didn't for a large part wasn't overly affected during the troubles as much as like, from where as as it would have been from where you were from and the sure. rebel songs kind of I only it was only really in my kind of later teens and and. And after that, I kind of sort of taboo with it because I wasn't really exposed to it. And I kind of almost had to go looking for it, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. And rather than it just being part of the wallpaper, I was, I'd, I'd need to try and search it out. And I don't I don't think I ever really would have seen it. But that would have been something that was fairly common, though, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, if we could get all sociological about this, couldn't we? And say it was, you know, the, 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 the importance of rebel songs in terms of um, fostering community spirit and um, uh, keeping you on the right side and uh, blah blah blah. Um, I, I think the thing about rebel songs is that not that many of them have what I would call musical merit. <laughs> um, yeah, they're not you know, the first one to say that. A lot of the melodies are just really simple, and they're they're ripoffs of of. Um, existing melodies in in any event, and and I think that was that's kind of almost why they exist. They they exist in a simple form so that people can learn them easily and and sing them easily, and uh, they become part of the fabric. Um, yeah. 
but interestingly, I mean, I think there's there's like a couple of strands through all of this. That, that, that if if the seventeen ninety eight uprising did anything, it that developed such a huge pool of songs that are that are superb, just absolutely brilliant songs. So those songs I will kind of go back to and listen time and again because there there's some really wonderful stuff there. So, I don't know if you if you've spent any time with this podcast. I'm the I'm the idiot, and I I really didn't spend a lot of time paying attention when I was younger. So, 1978. What what kind of what 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 songs are coming from that time? Oh, sorry, the 1798. So the um, sorry, oh, well, I don't know songs like um, Henry Joy. Um, Boule of Vogue, um, the Croppy Boy, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a whole raft of songs that that um, were written at the time of, of that particular uprising, um, which are some of which are you know, incredibly poignant. So, Kelly the Boy from Killan, for example, um, the the imagery in it, the the honesty, um, they're incredibly stirring songs as well and just in the course of the last couple of days I, I was I was I reminded myself that I had an album that was brought out in 1998 which shouldn't have worked I mean if somebody told you the concept you'd probably recoil in horror but it was the Irish Philharmonic Orchestra and Chorus backing up a number of you know, some of the best traditional singers that we've got so um Len Graham um, from my neck of the woods and uh, Liam Clancy singing songs of the from the 1798 kind of period in front yeah. of the Irish Philharmonic Orchestra and yeah, when I heard the concept I thought there's no way this is going to work but actually it's become one of my Desert Island discs um, yeah really oh it's it's wonderful because I think what happens is that huge swell of of of, of pomp in the background um, actually in some ways highlights the, the, the kind of fragility and, and the, um, the, the, the gentleness and the, of, of a singer like Len Graham whose, whose, whose style of delivery is incredibly low-key um, in front of this great wall of noise behind him. Uh, it, just, it just works. And yet, as I said on paper, I don't think it should. So when you, the connection with Ackle, I know we'll probably end up talking about that later on. Is that is that a family connection that you have over there? Ackle Island. Well, no, we 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 used to go there on holidays, kind of every year, en famille. So not just not just um, not just my dad and my mum and myself and my sister, but you know a whole wreck of his brothers and uh, his dad, and we all kind of descended for two weeks every year and kind of took over a corner of the Sleevemore Hotel and um, it was just it was just a kind of annual pilgrimage um, really to, to a very beautiful part of the world. But there is, the, sadly, um, in 1977 when we were on holidays there, my, my dad actually died while he was on Ackle Island. He, uh, he had a, a, a massive heart attack um, right. and there was nothing could be done to... To save him, really. So, um, there's always going to be some kind of deep, very deep spiritual connection with with Agal Island, as as far as I'm concerned. Not only is it one of the the most beautiful kind of 
places that I've been to in anywhere in the world. But you know, obviously, it's got that yeah. connection with, well, with, uh, the, with my dad. You know, with the dad and and the borderman. Um, the, the name sounds like it. it um, it might have been was it and it was that kind of political band in in, in a way. I'm to be honest with you now that I I don't think they were overly political as a band. I mean they would I, I think they would sing just about any song that that you know got people to to um, to enjoy themselves. Um, I think the the Bordermen tag, if anything, kind of hinted at the. Uh, Kind of skullduggery rapscallionness of um, you know smuggling stuff across the border, yeah, which yeah. you know, um, when you live in a border county like Armagh, there was a lot of that that was going on, and um, you know, cigarettes mostly, but you know, yeah, booze and all sorts of things, and yeah, we all knew lots of people who were involved in it. <laughs> and we we were you um, were you seeing him play in, in was it in in showrooms or pubs? No, I, I, I never actually saw the band playing, Darren. You know, I was I was probably oh, okay. too young to, to go yeah. and see the band playing in pubs. No, but, I, you know, I, I, in when we, again, when we were on holidays or when there were parties or uh, events like that, yeah, my dad would be would be up, you know, holding the holding the floor and um, singing away and, and encouraging everybody else to to chip in as well. So but I've no memory of seeing the band as such. Um, right yeah i do remember so, that that my dad had a guitar which knocked around the house for for kind of ever um i don't think it ever had the full complement of strings and i'm not sure that he ever really knew how to play it <laughs> i think it may have been a prop um what, so were you, were you were you quite young when he when he passed in that long i i was i was i was um I was just about to turn 13 at the time. He was just about to turn, or he was 36. So, uh, yeah, we were both young. <laughs> and you've got seven sisters, is that what you said? No, got got the one sister. Um, one just, sister. Just, yeah, just the one, Darren. Yeah. So you you are surrounded by singers, and then are you into traditional music when you're growing up? Because you grew up in Lorigan, right? I did, yeah. Um, no, I... I it was it was a background, and um, it wasn't something that I was kind of overly interested in as a as a kid, um, and certainly by the time I started to develop my own musical taste, um, certainly trad didn't feature in the slightest in anything that I was listening to, and um, right. my my kind to? of music. Sorry. Well, my musical epiphany was was punk rock. So you can imagine, um, you know, 1977, 1978, um, as well as all the usual adolescent crap that everybody has to deal with. um, I was growing up in Northern Ireland where there was a lot of other crap that people had to deal with. and then my own personal circumstances, you know, with, with my dad dying at a, at a kind of early age, all of that creates a, a, a kind of swirl of emotions with, with, within you as a, as a kind of person. And, and, and I latched on to a form of music that was, that was very angry and very um, expressive of all of that kind of 
turmoil and and confusion and and kind of rage that uh, people have at, at that age um, and it was it was a great outlet for that and what I found was it was a it was a way of actually connecting with other people who were pretty much in the same place that I was um, kind of emotionally or and and it was a place to be accepted really quite easily um, people didn't ask very many questions about which side of the tracks you came from mm-hmm. they were just more interested in um, whether you shared the same tastes as them in music fashion etc and it yeah it was a, it was a, it was a great outlet for 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 me and became a kind of you know passion of mine for many many years thereafter um yeah. musically an all-consuming passion it didn't really allow room for for much else do you remember your your first exposure to it can you take me oh i can indeed i can indeed um a, a friend of mine by the name of of joe Crilly and we, we might talk a little bit about Joe kind of later. Joe, Joe um, was a bit of a trailblazer in the, the punk movement around where, where I lived. And um, he booked a band from Belfast who called the Outcasts um, to come and play at our local kind of church hall, which was absolutely in the arsehole of nowhere. <laughs> um, so anyway, these, these guys turned up. And, and although I'd been exposed to to punk music through records and you know listening to John Peel and the radio and stuff like that I'd never actually been at a live gig before and blew me away is is an understatement um but it wasn't so much even the music it was the fact that the guys who were in the band um because I'd kind of agreed with my with my mate Joe that I would kind of help out with a few of the kind of backstage arrangements and stuff, with basically sweeping up and clearing things away. We got to meet the band and they were, there was no distance, no social distance mm-hmm. between us and them. They were just slightly older kind of teenagers. Um, but there was no, there was no rock star um, distance whatsoever. And that really impressed me as well. So that was my, that was my introduction. And I think I, I kind of came away from that gig um, having just found, found my vocation for, <laughs> for the foreseeable. It's funny, we spoke, we spoke um, during the week about, mm-hmm. uh, about kind of areas around this and you had mentioned about punk and how it is, shares a lot of similarities with, um, with trad or traditional music and we spoke a little bit about it, and but since then, every day since then, I, I've been thinking so much about that, because so when I was a, when I was a teenager, I would have I missed punk really in in Ireland. I was more into techno and that kind of thing. And yes. as much as I kind of the other day had said, you know what, there, there were similarities with that, and I think politically there's similarities where it didn't matter, it doesn't really matter what sort of the tracks you're on. It was about the music. You could go to the club. Um, everyone's loved up and hugging and then they left in the morning and, and regular bullshit life continued but what actually kind of really made me go you know what Aiden is bang on the money is because 
in the 2000s i got quite heavily involved in a diy kind of punk noise drone scene in, in brisbane over here in australia wow and it was exactly what you were talking about there so it, it wasn't so much even just the music itself it was the first time going in the band pretty much is the audience but they get up on stage it's there's a a crossover between the stage the audience it's about people showing up and just putting the the show on themselves the the audiences are as important as the band there's a whole movement by it and you're automatically connected in with like-minded people and you're in a in a community and that for me when i was thinking about during the week i was going aiden's right like that punk aspect is so traditional music it's it 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 yeah, I think you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I do, I do know what you're talking about. And actually, that's just sparked off a couple of thoughts in my head here, Darren. One is, um, there was somebody wrote something on a message board. You know, it may have been the session or it may have been somewhere else that I, that I read a couple of days ago as well, which, which really got me to thinking, which is that uh, one was good listening makes good music. And I think people who play trad music are are often blessed with good listeners because um i'm I'm thinking of for example if 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 i go to gigs in the return to camden time festival in in london i would say easily 60 to 70 percent of the audience are are musicians um Mm -hmm. who are there to learn from and listen to kind of other musicians and yeah, this might be stretching a point, but it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of you know the, the apocryphal tale of the Velvet Underground that when they brought out their first album, it only sold about 100 copies, mm-hmm. but everybody who bought it went out and formed a band. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, I, I think niche music, and I'm sure that, that you know, techno is, is quite niche as well, and some of the extreme forms of techno that you're talking about certainly quite kind of niche. Um, but but those niches kind of it, 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 it becomes more as much about the people and the sense of community and the shared vision um, as much to do with that as it, as it is to do with the, the actual notes that you're hearing mm-hmm. and it, it also brings me to a quote that I um, always carry in the back of my head by a a guy called Gary Hastings, who's a, a flute player, um, who made a wonderful album a few years back with um, Seamus Quinn. And his, his quote was, and I'm, I'm saying this from memory, so I, I might not get it exactly right, but he said that you know, traditional music isn't about music at all. It's about people. Um, and every, every time I kind of read it, it stops me in my tracks a bit, that, that kind of um, quote, because... I, I think it's true. I've, I've making music with people that you you really get and who really get you, and um, you've got that connection with, is just for me the the well, it's 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 the apex of of my not just musical life but probably life really. And I, I think I want to go into that and I want to go into it hard if would I think and so the reason I'm saying we should stop for a, a tune is because I feel if we go into that territory we're going to be in there for a while do you think we could have a tune or a set 
We can indeed, yeah. I think um, what I'd, I'd like to play here is a, a two tunes, so two jigs. Um, one is, uh, it's a tune, I, I call it Junior Crehens. Um, I, I think it also goes under the name of the, the Luridown. Um, it's it's a tune that, that Junior Crehen wrote. And I picked this up from uh, a session that I used to go to in a pub in Bethnal Green called The White Horse, which is sadly no longer a pub. Um, like a lot of uh, like a lot of pubs, it's it's now I think been turned into flats. And uh, I follow it up with a, a jig called the Nightcap, which uh, I learnt from uh, a recording of of Frankie Gavin, um, which was a, a kind of solo fiddle album that he brought out. And and I just think it's a it's a great tune, a kind of simple little driving tune. So. Um, and in playing Junior Crehens, um, I'd like to just sort of tip my hat, as it were, to uh, Kathy and, and Mary and John and Chris and, and Simon and Derry, the, the kind of core of the, the session at, at the White Horse many years ago. I don't think we're ever going to have a session like that again. It was the, the best crack ever. When did that finish up? Oh, the, um, blimey. Probably about the mid two thousands, I would say. Um, I mean, I, I I can't remember exactly, but it it was a while ago. I haven't got over it though. <laughs> Isn't it funny how you can fall like it's the 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 building in that moment it just is the very same as a, a real love for a, another another person. Oh God, I can I can close my eyes and. Uh, and and just I I can transport myself back there in a in a moment, especially when I hear a tune like like or when I play a tune like Junior Crehens, and um, it just brings it all flooding back.
Lovely. Thank you so much for that, Aidan. There you go. A bit of a punk rock ending as well with that uh, <laughs> final chord. So what, when you're in the punk thing, when you're in the punk scene, I should say, and this is kind of going straight back to the, the people that were in it, what, was it instant, was it instantaneous that these people were your people and this scene was your scene or did you have to work on it a bit? Oh, blimey. Um... I I I I I think it was it was pretty instant. Um, in that, when you're in some sort of a scene that's reasonably extreme, you you stand out from everybody immediately. So, you know the 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 fashion, the attitude, um, and therefore you have to click together with your own people, almost for protection rather than anything else, because. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ireland's a pretty conservative country, and Northern Ireland's a pretty conservative part of a conservative country, and and people don't necessarily um, appreciate people rocking the boat. So um, yeah, we 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 kind of had to to click together um, really kind of quite quickly. Um, so yeah, I think it was it was an almost instant kind of immersion stroke conversion um which probably sounds a little bit weird but i think when you're when you're in your teens you're 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 quite malleable you're quite adaptable you can you can change your um you can change the way that you're you relate to the world the way you're seen by the world um really quite quite kind of quickly and and to me it did feel like a sort of a, a homecoming i'd i'd find people that were interested in the same sorts of things that, that, that I was interested in. I could have conversations that, you know, where people weren't going, what? What are you on about? You know, the, the yeah. people actually got me. So, yeah, it was pretty instant. Like, this might sound a bit like psychologist armchair stuff, but was it, was it a new, like an acceptance in a new family? Like, that's how I can... That's how I kind of view it when you're kind of... It's an unaccepting... Uh, a, sorry, a what's the word it's um on give me a second i'll think of the word it's the unconditional unconditional exactly so it is an unconditional love for it and it's such a simple thing but it's when you find a scene like that all you need to do is be one of us and you have our unconditional love and there's no conforming you just be yourself and you have our unconditional acceptance and love was there a bit of that because of how you like the, the events that had led you to to this point wow um <laughs> we're getting into some heavy territory sorry here, mate um, I, that's all right no worries um to, to be honest i think i think there is there is a bit of that so i think if you're if you're part of a tribe um when you first meet someone who's also a member of that tribe, um, your initial um, your initial response to them is always going to be quite positive until you find out at a later point that they may be, you know, flawed in some way or other. That, that but but initially you kind of go, yeah, he's he's one of us. I'm one of him. Um, she's one of us. You know, we're uh, yeah. You, you probably do feel a, 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 an element of unconditionality in those initial kind of uh, relationships and you know the fact is now at um you know whisper it um you know mid 50s i i still have 
people who were part of that scene that I'm really friendly with. Um, I, I, punk is no longer our all-consuming passion, although for, for, for some people it still is. But we, we still have... Um, we still have Paris. <laughs> we still have that. We still have that um, that common bond that to, to to look back on that kind of common understanding, and uh, yeah, it's it's. it's and was really the was the punk scene in Belfast? Was the punk scene in Belfast? Was that um, anti like? Because I don't. I understand like the bits of punk that I've been exposed to, and you know I wasn't there for the beginnings of it. Was it? Was it kind of staunchly anti-establishment or, or was it, what was the, was there a particular angle that you kind of felt, this is me? I mean, like, yeah, what I, was a sub-genre at that stage? Or was it all just, it was just punk? Uh, yeah, by, by, by definition, I suppose it's, it's kind of that, that, well, I suppose all rock and roll music is anti-establishment and, and left field um, bits of, of rock and roll are always going to be pretty anti, anti-establishment as well. But I think one of the things that, that was, for me, really quite interesting and, and drew me towards it was the fact that it was also anti-sectarian as well. Um, yeah, right. So there, the, really some of those barriers that existed in other parts of my life didn't exist when I was at a gig by... The outcasts or Rudy or whoever, um, you know, you 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 were you were nobody nobody cared which side of the, the the fence that you came from, because we we were inventing some new kind of way of being, some new way of uh, of relating to the world, relating to Northern Ireland, which is why, you know, songs like Alternative Ulster by Stiff Little Fingers um, still really resonate. Um, it was a bunch of of people in their 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 teens twenties trying to forge some sort of new reality new identity in a in a in a society which was very controlling so i think yeah, yeah punk was a was really important in the context of somewhere like northern ireland um yeah yeah it's funny I, again I, it's not it's not as intense because of the, where I grew up but being involved in the rave scene and seeing that happening across um well social lines so like lots of hard men you know mm-hmm. would traditionally would have been uh, trying to out starting fights in the weekend mm-hmm. like all the dudes that I would have known from school the hardest dudes in school when we would eventually get to that rave scene, we were in hugging, dancing together, having the best time. There was the, all of that crumbled away, and we were there in a in unison for that moment. And that then it did spill into the the weeks after that. So then these these hard men now you've shared these moments together. That 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 tension is evaporated just for those moments. So there was a, a while there in the in the 90s early 2000s where it felt like you know what there's a this music is really it's safe like people it's it gets painted with this um with this image but what's actually unifying all these people like people that i would have to be honest kicked my head in <laughs> in yeah. the previous years when now I was, I was shoulder to shoulder with every week which is that was a huge awakening for me to go the music in a scene as i was actually speaking about this to 
my wife and another good friend of mine in the last mm. week. You you had punk, right? Yeah. Let's say, and I had techno. Yeah. What I can't think of another counterculture that's happened since the late nineties. Hmm. So, like, what it like that that alternative counterculture that 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 unifying rebellion that you had with punk, I had with techno. What what like and these are kids like I'm thinking from the nineties. So there's like ten years on the me. That means that what what did that generation have? Ten years again after that, what did that generation have? Like I honestly I can't pick it. But well, well, I think pop had happened. Kind of living living in London um, and having a having a, a son who's in his um, early twenties now. I, I think there are other subcultures coming up other musical subcultures but they're, they're you know um so i'm thinking of grime and drill and sort of music like that which are very much of of the moment for the the kids that are into it um and, and it's it's not something that i you know have any awareness of whatsoever but you know they're, they're pretty big movements um Mm. I think the difficulty, yeah, are they counterculture or do they get snapped up straight away and and actually start moving into the mainstream? Is is the question that I don't have an answer to because I'm not I'm not kind of part of it. But I think that the, yeah. the, it's the difficulty with every kind of musical subculture that 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 happens is once it achieves a certain level of popularity, the, the, the people with the money start going, oh, maybe there's a chance to, to make a few bucks out of this. Mm. And, and it becomes commercialised. And I think... <clears throat> I mean, I, 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 don't, that, I think with, with our music, with trad, the, the spectre of, you know, uh, monetization, commercialization is... It's, it's, it's much, 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 much less in the, in the kind of background because so much of what happens in, in trad music just happens, happens for free. Nobody's making any money out of it. Um, and, and if they are, it's, it's a pittance. It's certainly, it's not enough to live on. Um, it is just music that exists for its own sake, for, for the enjoyment of it, for the enjoyment of listening, for, the, for even more so for the enjoyment of playing. Um, and long may that last. So, right, we are an Irish music podcast. <laughs> How, yeah, indeed, what, indeed. So we're talking, we're talking punk, right? We're, we're, yes. What happens, right? What happens to you in your life? Your, your stiff fingers, stiff little fingers. You're not into trad at all. Mm-hmm. When did when did it all start to align? What what process happened? Right. Well, we we get transported back to the west coast again. <laughs> um, I I'm living in London one year. It's it's kind of late nineties and it's been a it's been a crap year. I've I was in a long term relationship that kind of broke up. Um, I got made redundant from from a job and I'm sitting in a little flat and thinking, oh, I'm feeling pretty miserable here. I'm gonna take myself off for however long, you know, just buy a single ticket. And I'm going to go to Ackle Island and I'm going to go and fish and I'm going to go and walk along beaches and I'm going to go halfway up mountains and just sit and try to get my head shard, as, as my mother would probably say. And so I did that. 
And by chance, um, I was staying at a and b that was, that was run by um, a guy called Shea Kennedy, if I can kind of mention his name. I don't know whether Shea will ever, ever listen to this. Um, yeah. Shea was a piper and, uh, you know, every morning when I'd be, be waking up, I could hear Shea practising the pipes um, down in his, in his woodshed. And he invited me along, um, you know, the first night I was there to come down to the, the local pub and um, he was going to be playing a few tunes in a, in a session. And whew, um, just the, the experience of being up close and not just hearing, but feeling, feeling the music, um, it 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 just really excited me, really excited me in a in a way that, um, you know, possibly going to one of the first gigs that I'd been to kind of excited me, and for the for the rest of that period that I was there for the kind of three or four weeks, whatever it was that I was there. Uh, every night I went down and kind of listened to the guys playing the tunes, got to, to know a few of them. And as soon as I got back to London, I thought, right, this is it. I'm going to have to to get an instrument and learn how to do this thing that has given me so much pleasure over the course of the last few weeks. So I arrived in, I, I knew nothing about the, 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 the music really at that stage. I uh, knew nothing about instruments, but... I had played a bit of kind of guitar in several punk rock bands um, badly, I have to say. I knew my three chords and that was it. Um, but I thought, it's a stringed instrument, it's got frets. Surely a banjo mustn't be that difficult for someone to make the transition from guitar to. <laughs> that was a big mistake. Um, <laughs> oh my God, it was it was completely different. The, the difference between playing chords and playing melody is, you know, chalk and cheese. Yeah, yeah. Um, and can I ask you just before, because I, I, I feel we're going yeah. to get into the, you, like getting into the process of learning. But I'd like to just bring you back to the to the session in the pub. Do, do, mm-hmm. you, rem- do you remember? Or is it even possible to put your finger on what was different hearing the music this time? Um. Well. You know, I think I think life circumstances might have just made me ready for it. Um, you know, sometimes things happen to you. And God, this sounds like I'm the Dalai Lama here, but sometimes things happen to you in life at a time when you're when you're ready for them. So, you know, I was I was having a bit of an existential crisis in any event, and sometimes those those kind of moments of, of crux leave you open to to change, to new things, to to new ways of hearing things, new ways of looking at things. So there might have been there might have been that. Um, it, it, also because the guys who were playing in that session were, it has to be said, just just brilliant. They were they were top class um, yeah. musicians and they were they were incredibly um, open and humble people um and and i think it was that i think there's i'm 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 kind of you know drawn to to kind of humility and people who are who are incredibly good but 
they don't kind of wear their ego like you know some huge placard um it's just something that they do i'm grinning just, away here because uh yeah I wish these are the moments that I really wish we were sitting face to face. And I'm grinning away. I've just had this image in my head. Like if it was the movie of Aiden's life, if you've got the, the the punk scene, the young lad, he, he finds his people, uh, <laughs> and then it's the cut to, and it's a, it's the same it's the same shot, and it's different people with different music, but all of the setting, everything else seems to be, it's the, the same. You've got great people, humble people for the music, accepting you're at the right time in your life to to be to be whipped up and within mm. this mm. did you know you were going back to london to live at that stage oh yeah yeah i mean definitely i mean i i my my i i put down roots there so um i was definitely going back to london yeah um and then what is that like is that were you connected to the irish music community at all or did you have to then just kind of start from scratch yeah, not at all. No, the, 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 if anything, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I had uh, lots of contacts in the rock scene in, in London at the time, but not in the Irish music community. So, I mean, basically, you know, I, I just started from scratch. I just decided I was, I was going to have to kind of teach myself and, um, and one of the reasons around that um, being that I suppose if I was a more self-confident sort of person, I might have thought, oh, you know what, I'm just going to go now and I'm going to go to a session and I'm, I'm going to learn from people. But um, you know, I, I'm not blessed with massive amounts of kind of self-confidence. So I felt I needed to have at least... Um, a passing competence with a few sets before I could actually go and sit in in a session, um, because otherwise I would have just felt too, too kind of exposed. So yeah, sure. I, we're talking about maybe two or three years of plugging away in the, you know, in my own flat, um, before I actually felt that I had the uh, the confidence to go and sit in in a session. And uh, oh my God, I I I think any musician will probably um, sympathise with this. But the you know the first time you sit there and someone says, "Give us a couple of tunes," <laughs> it's a nerve wracking <laughs> moment. Um, and you know I'm not sure that I've ever ever really got over that. Um, you know I always feel in 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 any kind of session, particularly in a in a kind of new setting, that almost almost you know it, it, nerves that get in the way of of enjoying yourself and, and nerves that get in the way of of making good music um but once you get to know people and and you develop a a, a sense of where we're all at musically it's it's very different i think that's it's mm. I, i've been i've been thinking about this for ages i'm just gonna say it I, it's so similar to sex <laughs> uh, for, for me, anyway, it, it's I, not as messy. I, it's not as messy, though. <laughs> not as, but I just uh, sometimes when I'm having these conversations and people say something, I just I kind of I have this inner kind of. Well, first I feel myself blush, but I feel hmm. too. It's like you can, sure you can you can shack up and have a shag with with anyone, and it's I don't know. It's never as good, and when you start when you really get to know someone, and that's when the real 
the real magic happens and also too it's the it's when you can truly lose yourself like yeah. truly lose yourself which is for me and I'm sure every, like not I'm sure I know everyone's sex life and sex health or whatever is different but for me it's like if I can lose myself at the same in music that's when the, those moments of you're just in the zone like that the flow the zone it's if you overthink it that's when the mistakes happen. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that. that you, it's, have, you can't. You can't think it. You can't overthink. You have to be in the moment. Yeah, I anyway, mean, it, sorry for it's, a, it's no, no, no. It's it's a really interesting analogy, actually. Um, and I, I think, you know, we've all been in in sessions where, you know, a set starts off and it's all right. You know, it's it's good music. We're all having fun, and then something sometimes happens in the middle everybody just gels and suddenly it it elevates mm-hmm. and and it's almost like uh you just you just do, do, don't want that set to finish because it's it's perfect in that moment it's just perfect yeah. and it's surprising because you didn't expect it to 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 go off in the direction that it's gone off in um mm-hmm. so it's yeah wonderful um to bring you back to where you are, but beginning yeah, yeah. and to finish my analogy, also when you when you start out at sex, like at music, you think you're great at it, but you really suck. Mm. So that's a nice segue. Bringing you back to you were you went to your first session, or you well to play with people for the first time. Yeah, oh no, that, that, it was uh, yeah, <clears throat> definitely um, wasn't wasn't worth recording put it that way um but of course the the, the great thing is uh, when you start off learning or if you if you start off learning in the way that i did with you know no what, what's that there's a van morrison quote kind of no teacher no guru no method i mean it was it was literally um teaching myself um you you tend to have your first few tunes are tunes that, that most people would know anyway. So if you go to a session and you start off a few of those tunes, people will chime in and you get the, the support and the buoyancy of, of other musicians kind of playing along with you, um, which helps mm-hmm. you get through it. Um, but then, yeah, uh, over time, you, you get more tunes, you become more familiar with the repertoire of, of you know, whichever particular session that you're, you're part of. And it's a long process, but you, you start to develop a bit more confidence and a bit more of a repertoire. And, uh, and then you're on the journey and that journey never ends. It, it doesn't stop. And you're uh, learning from the no book. There's no reason why it ever should stop. Sorry? So, and you, you, were, you, were, were you were you learning from books back then? Like, what, like did you have someone that could, was leading you in any way or were you just kind of searching for whatever material you could you could find and then reading up and learning stuff from the page or were you sitting down trying to just work it out by ear i i bought one book and i can't even remember what it is now it was a it was a, but it was like a, a banjo tutor with the um with the, the the music set out in tab um and i i would say maybe after about a year or so i, I don't read music uh not dots like i i i, I I've got a kind of mental block with reading dots. So I, I can read them, but, but much like a child reading in primary school in the first few years, you know, I can do it. I, yeah. I need to put my finger on the, the notes yeah, and, yeah. and work out what it means. But I can read ABC. 
And right. I, I, I have a friend who says to me, how the hell do you do that? Um, so I taught myself to read ABC um, pretty quickly and, and that opened up more tunes to me. Um, but of course, you know, you, you, you can't play tunes unless you're listening to the music. You need to, you need to understand where the, the music's coming from. You need to understand different people's kind of versions of it. Um, you need to know what your own limitations are. You need to know how you can maybe adapt phrases and tunes that are difficult for a particular instrument so that you can you can get past that stumbling block and actually be able to play the tune as a whole. So it's 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 very much a kind of process of getting the tune and dissecting it and, and practicing it hundreds and hundreds of times, in my case anyway. Until I'm, you know, until I can really say that I've got it, and then it's saying, how would that fit in with other tunes? If I was to create a set with this, is there are there any natural um, kind of bedfellows? Um, mm -hmm. Continuing the the sex angle, are there any natural bedfellows for this tune? Um, it's it's just it is a fascinating process, really. So, but it's kind of interesting, like because. Earlier on, it sounded like the it wasn't just the music; it was the music and possibly the community, or maybe that was me just projecting onto your onto your story. But in these in these kind of formative years within the traditional music, yeah, if you if you're just grinding away on your own, you didn't really have a mentor. Were you connected to a community at all? Were you were you starting to kind of um, aspire to, to to go somewhere, or did you were you just showing up at the session every single week? To, to meet people to listen to the tunes um well but as i say probably for the first kind of 18 months two years it was literally just a case of woodshedding on my own in the in my mm -hmm. in my home um but then after that yeah i, I sought out um a few sessions that um i, I hoped that I might be able to kind of um, assimilate into kind of reasonably quickly, and I, you know, I, I did manage to um, to find a few with with simpatico people who who I you know developed a, a reasonable kind of friendship with, but it wasn't really until I moved I moved down into southeast London in the. Um, I'm just trying to think when that would have been, um, late 1990s, and discovered that there were a few sessions locally um, that I started going to. And, and, you know, just through dint of turning up every week, you, you start to kind of develop friendships with people. And then eventually some of those people decided that um, the time was right to start up a session in a in a local pub in Catford and I would say for the next kind of 10 years maybe um religiously every every Thursday night I was there in the in the melee and yeah. Yeah, that that was that was a great kind of um, informative experience because I think with with playing the tunes it's it's about being immersed. It's about gradually increasing your repertoire with with purpose. 
So just simply learning tunes for learning tune sex, great. I mean, sometimes we trip across a tune that we've, you hear a tune in an album, you think, oh, that's great, I must learn that, because it's, it's fun. But I think we all learn tunes much more quickly if there's a purpose to it, and if, if some mm-hmm. of that purpose is about um, being able to contribute more to the session that you're with, that really kind of, you know, it puts a fire under your arse, really, to, to, to yeah. learn tunes. Yeah, hundred percent. Aiden, do you think we could have another tune or or a set? Yeah, this is. I'm, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play a single tune now, and this this is this is one that what I wrote myself. Um, and you know, I, I I'm not I'm not going to play this to, to to kind of say how great a kind of tune writer I am or whatever. But there's this this tune is called um, McQuillan's Hill. And I wrote it in memory of a, a really close friend of mine called Joe Crilly, who I've actually mentioned earlier. He was the guy who um, first got me initiated into, into punk rock. But Joe, Joe moved right. to London about a year before I did. And although at that particular time um, we weren't the closest of friends, um, we actually then over the years really saw a lot of each other and, and socialised a lot. Um, he was really into music, not into to trad, I hasten to add, but he was into all sorts of music that he would kind of introduce me to. Um, he, he was a really good friend. Um, sadly, uh, Joe took his own life back in 2017. Oh. And um, that had a, had a really big impact on me. And... Uh, I think, in, although it had, you know, really obviously quite negative consequences. I mean, losing a, a long-time friend is, I mean, saying it's got negative consequences is, is really understating it. But mm. it, it, I think, gave me a new relationship with music as well. Um, I kind of used that as a bit of a, of, a, of a kind of solace. But anyway, Joe was a playwright and he wrote... Three wonderful plays, um, which you know are 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 are, are recognised as um, being absolute classics of a of a of a wave of theatre that um, I think sometimes people only get recognition after they they pass away really that that they deserve. The the, the three plays that have been published as a trilogy are um, Kitty and Damnation. Stolen Thunder and a, and a play called On McQuillan's Hill and right. this tune that um, I'm about to play is a barn dance which in memory of Joe I've called McQuillan's Hill Lovely, thank you Aidan
Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, no problem, no problem. And I'd, um, yeah, in some ways, um, it's, it's, it's really nice to be able to create something that serves as a, as a memory of uh, yeah, a very dear friend who um, sadly I'll not be able to, uh, to have any more crack with. Yeah, uh, you said it, the the event or his death brought you closer to the music. What, what what did you mean by that? Well, you know, without wanting to get kind of too heavy, Darren. Um, Joe, that I I got into a very dark place after um, after Joe died. Um, I I found it quite difficult to. Um, to cope, it was like a kind of um, I I kind of lost an anchor in a in a sense. I'd 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 maybe become kind of really aware of the the frailty and fragility of 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 us all as human beings because, you know, Joe was the most ebullient, um, affable person you'd you'd ever met. He was confident. He had he had friends he and and to think that someone who had so much going for him um, could find that 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 life was no longer worth living um affected me really really quite deeply and i kind of had to find a way back from that somehow and one of the ways that that i did it i suppose was to immerse myself again much more than previously in in music because that that is my that is my happy place <laughs> um yeah. you know playing tunes um seeking out new tunes it, it it's it's a place i feel really comfortable with and it's also a place where you you have to stay in the moment so when you're when you're playing music you can't be thinking about anything else other than the the, the music that you're playing because if your mind starts to wander then the, the music just becomes a bit shit really so it helps you keep really kind of quite focused and in the moment and i yeah as i say i think it it kind of re reawakened my need for the music um as a as a means of kind of keeping myself sane really yeah, and you were you were very aware of what you were doing, like how you, how you were using the music at the time. No, I'm I'm not. I, you know what? I'm not sure that I was. I think I think it's only looking back now that I kind of realise that <clears throat> that was what I was doing. Um, I, it, there was no, there wasn't something conscious about it, but I I just I had the need for um, comfort. And and music, yeah. to me, is a is a comfort. Playing music is a is a comfort. Um, so, but I yeah seriously didn't didn't think at the time that that is what I was doing. Um, but I think looking back on it now from the vantage point of of a couple of years that. Yeah, that that probably is what I was doing. Right, it was McQuillan's Hill composed in in that time too. Yeah, it was. So there was a, I suppose I had a bit of a, a spurt of creativity at the time. Um, I was spending a lot more time with my 
you know, with my mandolin anyway. And um, inevitably, I've, I've always been kind of drawn to composing tunes for, you know, for whatever reason. I, 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 I just feel, feel kind of drawn to that. And I mean, I have to say, a lot of them are a bit meh. When you listen back to them, but but some of them have merit, and um, yeah, with with these these tunes just emerged, um, and I think it it surprises me. For example, something like McQuillan's Hill emerged at that time because it's such a jaunty tune. It's got the feel of those kind of you know nineteen thirties barn dances that mm-hmm. um, we hear from the golden age, um, and yet you know at the time I was I was anything but jaunty. It has to be said, but yeah, creativity um, comes from all sorts of weird just, places, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, the 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 coincidence that I'm dealing with at the moment. So um, I lost a, a friend last year through similar very similar circumstances, and not just similar by the sense of that he took his own life, but yeah. he was a incredibly. Um, outgoing um friendly loved by everyone and the same thing like that, that that the devastating point of when we lost gary was that he that he was that type of character and that someone that he that he could echo the word you just said that he 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 felt that he he, he needed to end his own life and yesterday another friend of mine john murphy yeah. who last time i saw john would have been at gary's funeral and and John played piano during that, and we had we had a chat. And he, he he yesterday sent me a piece of music that he'd written for Gary called "Be Here," and it's a piano piece. But it's the same thing, and it's the same thing as what I'm trying to say is that it was um, it's it's I wouldn't I don't want to call it upbeat because I wouldn't call McQuillan's upbeat either. But it has a a a personality that knowing the the personality of my friend and I'm sure now listening to McQuillan's Hill is it is that what kind of came out of it that even though it's sad in a memory that it's upbeat because it's in a an honor to the personality I hope that made sense yeah well actually you know, first of all Darren you know commiserations because because losing losing a friend a close friend is 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 horrible and and, and particularly under those circumstances so yeah, every sympathy with you there, mate. It's 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 a hard one, but oh, um, do I think it express? I I um, yeah, hard to say. I mean, yeah, I suppose in some ways, yeah, I didn't want. I I, I if I'd written some lament, I, I'm not sure that I would have attributed it in any way to, to Joe because yeah my the memories I wanted the memories I want to keep of 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 Joe are are the memories of him being a cantankerous, argumentative, funny, <laughs> um really well read, um really interesting contrarian, um who introduced me to lots of music and theatre and who introduced his son to my son and you know that, that's the memory I want to have of them. The memory I, yeah. I, I don't want to carry around the memory of, of, of sadness and, and grief and loss. So yeah, possibly that is that, that's why a jaunty tune um, is, is named in his memory. Do you um, do you still you still write a lot at the moment? 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that I ever consciously sit down to um, to write anything, but I, 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 I'm going to rewind a bit here because there's this. Um, I started um, my website, theirishmandolin.com, about just maybe over a year ago. And <clears throat> very shortly after the website was established, um, a man from um, North Dakota in USA got in touch with me um, to, to kind of encourage me and, and offer me some kind of advice about the website. A guy by the name of Michael Gregory. Um, and we became... Yeah really kind of quite close pen friends over the course of the, the ensuing year. And we exchanged emails about kind of once a week. And um, at one point, um, Michael offered me um, a little bit of financial assistance towards the cost of keeping the website up and running because he's incredibly passionate about uh, encouraging people to play Irish music on the mandolin. Yep. Um, so... As I say, we exchange emails every every so often. Um, and then I had an email from him which said, uh, you may not know Aidan, but actually a few years ago, myself and a friend, um, I forget his first name, but his, his surname is Olsen, we used to make mandolins. Um, and we made, he made 17, um, each of which was numbered, a kind of even number, so in sequence two through two, 34 and here's a picture of number 34 oh my god it was a beautiful instrument and then I got to the bottom of the email and he said uh, and I'd actually like to give it to you wow um and I'm like oh my god I'm I, I've never I've never had such a a, a a lovely gift from anybody in my life and and I mean it looked mm-hmm. wonderful and god it, it it felt and sounded even better when it arrived so the only way I could repay Michael for this was um, I, I wrote a tune for him called Michael Gregory's. Um, and interestingly, I had an email just yesterday evening from another mandolinist based in, in Scotland who had picked up on the tune, really liked it. I'd put some guitar backing over my kind of solo octave mandola uh, rendition yeah. of it. And... Um, wants to kind of record it a bit more professionally and and add a couple of kind of harmony parts etc to it so oh, i love that yeah I love that. is that like is that something that you could play now um i could i know try. that's cheeky we, we I, can... I know let me let me just see let me see whether hold on I don't know just how in tune I am, but I'll, I'll give it a go. It's it's quite a difficult piece, but let's see. Yeah, no, it's cool. Let me let me just try it. So I've recorded it before on octave mandola. So this is on mandolin, and we we'll, we we'll see how it goes. So.
there you go once round anyway darren oh aiden thank you man thank you for that i love that story so i do want to ask you a lot about the website because what i love not just sorry what yeah. i love not just about the, not just the music but it's also you're you're a, a brilliant writer and I, I just got lost in, in the story so i went on to, to actually listen and pick out um, particular tunes that I'd like to ask you about, but I got just lost in the stories, particularly the the random thoughts section. I, yeah. I, I love that. But th- so, am I right in thinking this is not the the first iteration of the of the website, or there was something that kind of existed before this? The reckoning. Yeah, there was. The- I, I yeah, um, a few years back, I um, ran a website called PayTheReckoning.com, and then. Um, I kind of I kind of lost touch with the music for a few years. Um, I what, what was Pay the Reckoning? I, I, sorry, what, what was Pay the Reckoning? Well, Pay the Reckoning was 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 it its core. It was um, uh, uh, reviews of Irish traditional music CDs as they were being kind of produced because it's very difficult for people in our niche. To, to actually get their stuff reviewed. Um, so sure. yeah. I, I kind of created it as a means of, of trying to publicize some absolutely superb music that's, that's, that's being kind of produced. But then alongside it, I did bits and pieces of my own writing and um, I actually created a, a, a bit of it as well to showcase mandolin players um, because mandolin is my big... Um, kind of passion but the the website fell into abeyance because i i then started working on a freelance basis um and and anybody who works as a kind of consultant stroke contractor knows it it becomes incredibly time consuming um but i then i actually called the company that i'd set up pay the reckoning limited and i switched the website address over so that it became a a kind of showcase for my um for my business as opposed to the the music and paytherecording.com then eventually kind of fell by the wayside so it was about a year ago where i thought i really like to get back into having some sort of a a web presence again and tried to think through what form that might take and i hit on the idea of actually just just putting up um, tablature, mandolin tablature versions of, of Irish tunes um, alongside a sound file of me playing it because I realised through reading lots of comments from people on the session.org, which um, you know, we'll all be familiar with, um, the mandolincafe.com, which people might be slightly less familiar with because it's a bit of a niche, that there are loads of people who would really like to get into playing Irish music on on mandolin but they they don't know anybody who plays it and they don't know what it would sound like so I just thought if I create a a website which has got resources for people at the very least they can go on and hear how I can kind of cack-handedly play a particular tune on mandolin Mm-hmm. And they can kind of take it from there because you know we all need some sort of a, a, a starting point for tunes, um, and hopefully for some of these people that will be their starting point as well. So it's a it's a way of kind of paying back, 
um, you know, we, we've, we've got to give something back to the music because it's, it's given so much to me. This is my way of, of, of a little bit of payback. Mm. It, it's funny how something as simple as what you're doing, like, I don't mean to um, talk it down or anything, but when I say simple, it's you're so right. There are people everywhere, all over the world, all within Ireland, and if you don't have access to to someone or if you're just not the type of person who is inclined to to go out and and meet people it's so nice now that you can do something like find someone like you and just dig you know you, you've got um a trusted ally and and a, and a friend just by visiting a website someone that can lead you and, and and you can just put your trust in that in that one place that's really really nice well, I'll tell you what's interesting about this as well. I, I, for example, yesterday was one of... I'll not say that I get deluged by emails from people who visit the site, but, you know, I get, I get the odd one from, the, from people. And I had an email yesterday evening from a guy who's a really accomplished jazz and bluegrass mandolinist. But during lockdown, and in, in, I think he lives in New Jersey, if, if I remember rightly, during lockdown... He's, he's found himself with a lot of time on his hands and getting drawn to Irish music. And so he came across my website and he, he just emailed me to thank me to say, this is really good. There's, the resources here are, are actually going to accelerate the process of getting into the music for me. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's just really interesting how, yes, yeah, something really quite simple like that... It, means that that we develop networks with people all over the world. So here I am talking to you. You're in Australia. I'm in London. Later on today, I'll be talking to somebody from New Jersey or from North Dakota or from, you know, wherever. Um, it just opens up all sorts of kind of networking possibilities. But when, when somebody emails me through my site, they get a reply from a real human being, from me, I'm really interested mm. in what they're doing. Um, they're interested in what I'm doing. There's nothing. There's nothing corporate about it. There's no, you know, your call is important to us. Please don't hang up. It's <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. You're talking to a real human being about real human things. I mean, music is a really human thing. Um, as far as I know, apart from you know the birds, um, we're the only creatures that, that make music in the way that we make it um, and robots will never be able to make it as well as we do um, and it's it's that kind of human connection with music I which love is the, the, brilliant. The core of what you're saying too goes back to what you said at the very start of this and that quote by um, Gary Hasing was it <clears> it's, it's also it's the it's not just the music it's the people yeah and that's why yeah. myself and Dom do what we do like it's and we spoke about this on the phone everyone can have the music you can play a record you can listen to a CD you can play MP3 whatever but it's all it's everything else that is around it and you know the, the, in this day and age to not to sound like too much of an old man but this day and age the the internet and, and speaking via the web is it is communicating it's just as valid and if like COVID if we're going to take something out of it, is it's kind of given us, as a as a species, a push to start communicating a bit more fluidly and a bit more openly, like doing exactly what you and I are doing now. This wouldn't yeah. have this idea would have been thrown out this time last year ago because we would have blamed the technology. We've had to just work a tiny little bit harder, but look look where we're at, 
and I, I just I love this. I, I I'm so excited about what it, for what it does. I've never I've never been as homesick for more like felt as far away, but I've also at the same time never felt as connected. Yeah. In in a funny way because I can I can do exactly this. Yeah. No. Exactly. And I think. I think it's it's amazing what you're what you're doing as well, Darren. Because um, sometimes when ideas occur to us, and my 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 partner, and I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, um, you know, often says to me, "I come up with ideas, and then I go, ah, nah, I'm not going to do that." Um, and you know, my partner Fee is a great one for saying, "Well, why don't you do it? Do it," and. You could have dismissed this idea, couldn't you, when it first came to you? Oh, it's too much hard work, and it's. Uh, but you've done it, and you've created such a. A brilliant resource, and it is again. It's it's a really simple idea, isn't it? But, it's the simplicity that that is at the heart of it, and that makes it work, and, you know. God, I sound like I sound like I'm on. I sound like I'm on thought for the day, and I go, and that brings us to our Lord, um, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that brings us back to the music as well. I mean, Irish music intrinsically is pretty simple, but you know it's a bit like people said about the Ramones. The Ramones only had one song, but it was a bloody good one. Um, <laughs> Irish music is is pretty simple at its core, but it's it's really difficult to play it properly with spirit, um, with real feeling that you're not just bashing out a string of notes. Um, but I think the simplicity of this idea of, of the podcast and the simplicity of the music, they just, they gel with each other so much. And I think, but it's similar to uh, your website. It's because you started out doing it for your, I think that's what the nugget of, um, I don't I don't use the word authenticity, but that's, it, it's because you're doing it for yourself. Myself and Dom started doing it for ourselves. It's a process that we wanted to go through to, so we'd have something for ourselves to 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 grow with, and it sounds like that's similar. To what's happening for you in the website? There was something that you kind of thought about what you could do for you that is going to enrich others, right? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and and it was and it's very much about keeping it simple. Um, in in my case, uh, so. Make sure the design is is really streamlined and and uncluttered and unfussy, but also that the way in which the 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 music is presented make that as kind of streamlined and and easy to navigate as possible. Um, it's not about bells and whistles. It's 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 about being useful. It's about, about being easy to navigate. Um, it's it's to try to. <clears throat> Try to remove any possible barrier between the person visiting the site and them actually playing the tunes. Um, and and offline, when, when people kind of email me, you know, I try to be as encouraging as possible to people to say, you know, yeah, go for it. Don't don't let any hesitancy get in the way. Just give it a bash because this music is all about just doing it. The enjoyment you oh. get from it is is yeah. actually playing it. So, I, I don't, I don't think we mentioned the what the sort of URL. I'll put I'll put this in the show notes as as always. Anyone that listens to this know yeah. underneath wherever you're listening to this, this show notes. So, what's the actual URL? The URL is www.theirishmandlin.com. 
com. As simple as that. Lovely. Uh, well, I, I know you from Twitter, so um, make sure you follow Aiden on, on Twitter as well, because I, I love the videos and the insights that you've had on there. I, I just, I, as I said, if, from, if you're not a mandolin player, I 100% recommend just going on to... To, to to check out your writing because I, I i i love those stories on the random thoughts page and like it's it's yeah. then the, the links the click or like it's 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 a rabbit hole type of website a rabbit you know what i yeah. mean yeah yeah well and, and actually that's something that 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 section of the site is something that i hope to develop a bit more um over time it's a bit embryonic at the moment um but yeah, I I have had so thank you very much for that. I've had a, I've had a few people who um who who find that bit of the site interesting. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll try to give it a bit more attention Again, over the, the course people. of the, the next few years. Yeah, Aiden, thank you so much for giving me your time this morning. That was brilliant. Okay, no problem chat. at all. Do you think we could have um go out on a tune or a set of tunes? Yeah, I, I, this is this is a tune. I, the, the last tune I played um, was a was a barn dance, I'm, and and this this is a barn dance ish. I, I, I say ish. Um, I'm really drawn to barn dances. I, I love the the kind of rhythm of them, and this is a tune called the Kilnamona Barn Dance. But it's played with it. The rhythm is kind of not strictly barn danceish. I would I would say. Um, and I got this from the playing of uh, Martin Hayes. Um, right. Martin Hayes is playing. I mean, I know that it's 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 Marmite. Um, I I I love it. And and the the probably the best moment musically that I've had in in years was hearing Martin Hayes as part of the gloaming playing his really slow version of the Sailor's Bonnet. Um, oh my God! Which is just. Good. Goosebumps! You just, you, oh. just, you saying that has given me my legs are on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and everybody I've spoken to who's who's really into the music, who's who's been there. I, I was talking to a friend who was at the the same concert I was at in the Union Chapel in in Islington. We 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 didn't know that we were both there, and we were dissecting the the concert three or four weeks later. And I said, and then when he started playing the Sailor's Bonnet, and she just did that. She she said, look at my arms. <laughs> and she'd come out in goosebumps because yeah. he, he, there's a there's a chord that Thomas Bartlett plays underneath one of the notes that he plays, and it's just that two seconds of music is that's probably enough. I, yeah. If I could just keep that and keep nothing else in the in in the world ever, I could I could just live with that. But anyway, that, that the Kill the Moon of Barn Dance is a is a track that I learned from from Martin's playing. Um, he plays it Neff. And yeah, I'm not going there. Um, <laughs> so I've I've transposed it into into D, which sits really nicely on the the mandolin. And I, when I first learned this, and in fact I must still play it at least once every day. Uh, this tune, I just think it's it's magic. It is just utter magic. So lovely. I can hear you smile talking about it. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope Thank other you people so much, think, think that my playing of it does it justice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Okay.
Aidan Crossy, thank you so much for such a inspirational chat, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, as as you probably got with the intro and and how I sounded during that chat, I got a lot from that. Um, I think I don't want to toot my own horn here, but like, well, even what even what Dom and myself are doing with this podcast, like that's the essence of it is pretty. It's pretty punk and a bit of a a fuck you to the um the establishment in a, in a tiny tiny way like i think what and this is in relation to what's happening with the gain stop and and that end of of what maybe the um counterculture is it's exciting at the minute that independent people like dom and myself for example we can go out we're just we're putting our own I don't know, blood, sweat and tears into a passion project and we don't have to then serve it up to to masters, to, you know, RTE. We don't need to go to um, some, like, we're not, we're not knocking on sponsors' doors just because a brand might, you know, fit in with us. We just kind of went, you know what, it is, it's a bit punky. We can just kind of go, you know what, we're going to do on our own. We're not bankrolled by anyone. We don't have a... Uh, huge media company behind us uh you know when we started doing this there was nothing else like it there's a there's a lot of uh similar podcasts out there at the minute which is brilliant because you know all um a rising tide rises all boats and that's that's bloody brilliant you can see the the money side of it where where people kind of go oh you know what we're a media company they're kind of jumping on it. i don't want to call it bandwagon but in the same territory because you know doing a podcast is not really original it's more the individual week content that shows up what is original and what's not but i love that there is the the democracy democratization of well money and, and finances is what's what's happening with gamestop but just even media the likes of me and don Bunnell to do this what we're doing because we can there's countless numbers of youtubers out there that 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 i like look forward to that little dot turning on each week because i've subscribed my kids haven't watched tv i mean like tv you get direct to your actual house in i reckon in the last 12 months oh you know what this 12 months is a bit different because sometimes the tv was on around dinner and stuff that's the only exception they would never in a million million years think about grabbing the remote for the TV and turning on anything else than YouTube. Like even Netflix for those guys, they kind of go, yeah, okay. But it's like a bit of a once-off. They're into creators. They're into this punk movement. This, God damn it, it is. This is the kind of culture that I've been looking for and I've been so close to it the whole time. I'm, it's just clicked with me. It's the music, the punk and the rave that I was speaking about at the top as the counterculture. It's content creators. In independent content creators because it's people are creating content just for the kind of people that want to listen to their kind of stuff people that have similar interest it's keeping it narrow it's keeping it very niche and these guys and and i say guys it's just i mean men and women i'm so sorry anyhow these people are creating stuff for themselves and that's the reason it's been picked up it's not broad it's very very niche and there's something bloody punk as hell about that right I'm going to get off my soapbox. I'm just, I'm fired up and I feel passionate about this. And, you know, when you get inspired, you get inspired. What can you do about it? Uh, 
if you want to keep this punk thing going, you know, chip in, it's not much, like $2 an episode, we have set at the moment on Patreon. If you want to go lower, just type in something lower, that's fine. But every little bit helps, you know what I mean? Um, it is a labor of love. There is no profits coming out of this. Myself and Don put in a lot more than it, we get back in. Um, we've chosen to go the free route we want. Patron saints, like, you know, the old school idea of having patrons that would give people money so they could work at their art, where the word Planksty came from. That's the model we're after, except we want to democratize that too. So, you know, a hundred of you listeners giving us $2 an episode is better than us going to some beer company that's that's black and white and, and begging them to chip in dollars. Let's keep it punk. Let's keep it in our hands. Um, you know where to do that. It's over at patreon.com forward slash Baloney Pilgrims. Right, I am so G'd up. I don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight, but I'm looking forward to sitting down and getting back into my thoughts anyhow. Right, till next week. Catch you then. Bye-bye. And Aiden, thank you so much, mate. I'm fired up because of your chat. All right, go on. Good luck. Bye. This project is supported by the city of Greater Geelong through its COVID-19 Arts, Culture and Heritage Recovery Grants Programme. Anya bye ya. Hop.